Matchbook Presents First Years, a podcast for all but geared toward adult first-time readers of Harry Potter, who need a space to enjoy each book and have adult conversations about it. My name is Sarah, and I'm honored that you've allowed me on this journey with you. Crack open a butterbeer, grab a seat, and let's discuss. Today, we're talking about adaptation. Hey guys, welcome to episode 61 of First Years. We're covering chapters 29 and 30 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. In this first chapter, number 29, Harry is reflecting on what he saw in the Pensieve. We spoke last week about how it was a really harsh reality check for Harry to experience. The pedestal he had put his father, Sirius, Remus, and his mother on, falling quite a bit. And I think what's important here to point out is that Harry has been told quite often that he reminds people of James. But right here is a fundamental difference between the two of them. Harry seems to have a stronger view of right and wrong at 15 than his father did. He seems to have a stronger moral compass and respect for others than James did. Harry says that he could understand it for someone who really deserved it, like Draco Malfoy. But it's implied that that person would have done something to provoke him ahead of time to deserve it, not just because he was bored. And so I think this speaks to an important moment of not just Harry discovering the truth about his parents, but discovering who he is outside of his parents too. He's doing a lot of growing up in this book, and I think finding his own identity is probably part of that. He really wants to speak to Sirius about all of this, and here again is another way that Harry is suffering without support in this book. His go-to person to talk to is Sirius, and he can't. It's dangerous, and Umbridge is in the way with her control over the school. Yet Ginny seems to have a possible idea, or at least the determination to figure out a solution with Harry. And I think this is a fun moment because we don't really get a lot of interaction with Ginny in these books, right? Harry spends most of his time with Ron, and unless it's during the summer when they all get together, we don't really see a lot of her during the school year. And I think it's fun that we get insight into what it's like to be in that family and what it's like to live with Fred and George, who we will 100% be talking about in just a few minutes, but I love that Ginny is almost inspired by them. When she says that growing up with them makes you think that anything is possible if you have enough nerve to do it. I think that's just really great and such a great perspective on the usual chaos that we see from them. It can be a good thing. And it works, right? Because as they go through the career pamphlets that the fifth years are given to start deciding what career path they're going to take, Fred and George come to help Harry out with a plan so he can talk to Sirius. They're going to cause a distraction, and it'll give Harry time to get into Umbridge's office and speak to Sirius in an unwatched fire. And he does get a chance to speak with both Lupin and Sirius about it, and I feel like... I I feel like they kind of dismiss his feelings about it, 
Lupin has a moment where he says, quote, I wouldn't like you to judge your father on what you saw there, Harry. He was only 15, unquote. Which, okay, yes, we're only seeing a moment in James's life. It could have been a bad day and a one-off. But we find out that it was a pretty regular thing. Lupin has a small moment of accountability where he does admit that he never really stood up to his friends to stop them from doing what they did. But with everything else, they're reminiscing and they're laughing. And there's really not an apology. It's very much, we were idiots, 15-year-old boys are idiots. And while I think that's true, (laughs) I think there needed to be a little bit more... More of a catering to Harry's feelings, catering may may not be the correct word here, but acknowledging them and making sure that he felt understood and that seeing his father like that was shocking and the behavior was not okay. I think it's also interesting that they admit that James never really stopped hexing Snape. The two of them hated each other and that Lily probably just didn't really know. I think that's a very interesting insight. What do you think we learn about James and Lily in that moment? How does that change or add to your perspective on him? I also want to talk about how with Owls coming up, the 15-year-olds have to figure out what career paths they want to pursue because it'll help them decide which newts they need to take and which owls they absolutely have to pass. That seems like a lot of pressure on 15-year-olds, right? I know in the muggle world we ask 18-year-olds to choose careers, but I also feel like there's more room for trial and error in our world. Many people start college without a specific idea of what they want to do, and they'll figure it out along the way. People can also have an idea and then change their mind. They switch majors, maybe they switch schools, their interests might shift. And I wonder about that in the wizarding world. Because from our understanding thus far, there's no higher education in the wizarding world. We find out that there is an extra three years of horror training. But that is specifically tied to the career, not a general education system. It seems like this decision is really final, and that if you don't get all the OWLs or NEWTs, you may not have as many doors opened for you. So for example, Hermione, who we can probably guess is going to ace all of her OWLs, she will probably have more flexibility to make a change in her career if she wants to than someone who only passes half of their OWLs. Do you think people need to retake these exams if they decide they want a career change? Is that even an option? But I have to say, the scene with McGonagall and Harry and Umbridge is absolute gold. (laughs) I must say, Umbridge just has to intervene, and I'm sure she didn't sit in on any other career meeting aside from Harry's. And McGonagall is just so over her shit. They really get into it with each other. And Umbridge looks like a lunatic. She's trying to catch McGonagall out when really she didn't say anything conspiratorial. Fudge isn't going to be minister forever, right? There very well could be a new minister in place within the next couple years. 
Yet Umbridge makes it all about the anti-fudge, anti-ministry conspiracy theory that she assumes McGonagall is involved in. And speaking of choosing a career, Fred and George not only helped Harry speak with Sirius, but have chosen their own career path and have chosen not to finish their education at all. They go out with an amazing bang, they advertise their new store and promise discounts to anyone who will use their swamp and other items against Umbridge. And this is huge. They have the respect of Peeves, who salutes them as they make their exit on their brooms. It's truly iconic, isn't it? (laughs) And they leave lovely chaos behind for Umbridge to deal with. They tell no one how to remove it. The other teachers are in no rush to help her. And other students are following suit to make sure that Umbridge has as miserable a time as possible at Hogwarts. And here's a fun little detail that's a callback to the last book. Students are using the bubblehead charm in the corridors to protect themselves from dung bombs and stink pellets. This is the same charm that was used by a couple of Triwizard Champions during the second task. How fun is that? I almost feel like we're seeing the school more united now than ever, now that they have a common enemy. On this podcast, I've gone over house biases a lot, and I'm not going to dive into it now because we've talked about it plenty, but I really think this is the most we've seen students work together in the entire series. We also find out what Hagrid is up to. Hagrid takes Hermione and Harry into the forest during the Quidditch match and finally shows him that he's brought a literal giant back with him, and it's his brother. And this has really affected Hagrid's relationship with the centaurs in the forest. Friends gave him a warning, but the others, Hagrid has to bring a crossbow along with him. And we find out that these centaurs are violent. They almost killed friends for agreeing to work at Hogwarts, and Hagrid is the reason that he is alive because he intervened. So both saving friends' life and having a giant in the forest, that relationship has turned sour. One of the things I immediately thought of when it comes to Grop in the forest is invasive species. We know from this book that giants live isolated up in the mountains because they were driven there, and they have their own communities and culture. They don't live in the Forbidden Forest, and Hagrid has taken his time to take Grop from his birthplace to a new environment and ecosystem. And that inherently affects everything that calls the forest home. And we're talking the emotional side of things here. Hagrid has emotional reasons for bringing Grop here and very much cares about him. He's almost crying when he's explaining the situation to Harry and Hermione. But it is a very big ask of Harry and Hermione to take care of his literal giant brother. And it has a big, big effect on the forest. No wonder the centaurs and I'm sure other creatures are upset about it. They don't notice any other creatures around in the forest, which is ominous and unusual, and shows how much the environment and ecosystem in the forest is affected. These animals probably had to clear out because Grop was a danger to them, 
or interfering with their ability to live their lives normally. The description when we first meet him is, quote, Trees had been ripped up at the roots all around the mound, so that it stood on a bare patch of ground surrounded by heaps of trunks and boughs that formed a kind of fence or barricade, unquote. So those are trees that have probably been there for decades, if not centuries, right, that have now been uprooted. These trees also probably provide homes to a lot of animals in the forest. Deer and birds now have a new predator. I would assume a giant would need to eat a lot, so many more are probably being taken out than usual. Animals that lived in that part of the forest probably had to find new territory. This could lead to territorial conflicts between animals where there weren't any before. These are all things that affect the balance of an ecosystem. And that balance is delicate. It's vulnerable, and it gets affected by little things, let alone big things, like a giant. And Hagrid, who loves creatures of all kinds, doesn't seem to think about this. I also can't help but think about this symbolism in bigger terms. So if Grop is an invasive species to the forest and is just wreaking havoc, I kind of feel the same way about Umbridge and Hogwarts. She was introduced and is just ruining everything, right? And so if we take that even further, when there's a new threat introduced to an environment, animals are very capable at adaptation. We will adapt to new situations and threats in order to survive. The entire wizarding world is kind of in that situation, isn't it? Voldemort is back and presents a new threat, or technically an old threat, a reestablished threat, if you will. And so people are going to have to adapt again in order to survive. The status quo of everything has been interrupted. If you think about what life was like in the earlier books, it, it wasn't unexciting. Harry still had to deal with multiple threats. But we didn't hear about people spying on others in the ministry. We didn't have ministry interference at school. Dumbledore safely had a job. Students didn't have to take their lessons into their own hands. So it'll be interesting to see where things go from here and how our characters adapt, slash how the wizarding world in general adapts to the situation that's happening. What do you think lies in store for us? Let us know at firstyearspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at firstyearspod and Twitter at firstyearspod. You can find me on Instagram at Veritaserum, V-E-R-I-T-A-S-A-R-A-H-M, and on TikTok at that same handle. A reminder that if you rate and review the podcast and leave your name in Hogwarts House, you will get a shout out on here as well as earn house points for your house. For next time, you need to read chapter 31, and I will see you guys then. First Years is a production of Matchbook. It's produced by Quinn Parker and myself, Sarah Jones-Dittmeyer. All sources can be found in our show notes or on our website at authorsarahjonesdittmeyer.info forward slash firstyearspodcast. That's Sarah with an H, and Dittmeyer is spelled D-I-T-T-M-E-I-E-R. 
Please remember that staying a Harry Potter fan is the biggest form of revolt that you can have, and we are committed to continuing to make this fandom and this community safe and welcoming to everybody.